One guy's a three-time Pro Bowler, the other's a three-time Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year, and together, they're just two guys talking pack. This is the Coon Podcast with Jason Wildy and John Coon. It is episode... Wait, should I, should I bring this in? <laughs> sure. It's I think ep- we should do this instead. It's episode 10, baby. No, it's 11. Oh, wait, it's 11. <laughs> Episode 11 of the Coon Podcast with... That's the fastest the word Coon has ever been said. At this place. (laughs) At this place, for sure. With three-time sports journalist of the year in the state of Wisconsin, Jason Wildey. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on your podcast, John Coon. Thanks for joining me weekly. So wait, so I have... I have three Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year awards, and you have three Pro Bowl trips. That's why it's a perfect pair. Wow. I, I Never leave me. Good things we come in threes. Good team. Um, so since you're running the show, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, I figured we'd talk about you know officiating again. And, oh, I love officiating. You know, it, hey, so let me ask you something before we, before we start, because I, I did reference your three-time Pro Bowl selections. Yeah. How is that viewed by guys? I'm sure every guy's different. Yeah. But obviously those came out this week. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers with his eighth. I'm sure he's very excited to go to Orlando. Uh, Brian Bulaga got snubbed, but his left tackle buddy David Bakhtiari got his first actual selection. He's played in one as a replacement, but he had never actually been voted in until now. How Boom. do guys feel Boom. about it? I, you know, guys... If they say they don't care about the Pro Bowl, they are bold face lying about it. They are bold face lying about it. And you know, you can say the game is a sham and this and that, but it doesn't matter. To be acknowledged by your peers, the scouts, right, the coaches, and they say one third by the fans. Right. That means something. You want to be honored. You want to know that that you are considered that upper echelon of the best of the best. And and these guys that say they don't care or it means nothing, they're bold-faced lying. Now, I understand they have agendas that they're pushing, and those are good agendas. You know, they're, they're trying to... They're trying to say guys got snubbed, and they're trying to they're make their point uh, come across, and, and, and they're doing a good job with that because guys do get snubbed. And yes, there is a part where snub is validated. There are some guys mm-hmm. that, that, that were snubbed this year in, in popular opinion, but hey, that's the way the Pro Bowl works. Usually you say if a guy has three, he probably should have four. Right. You know, just because you, for the most part, unless you're a first round draft pick or you come out your rookie year and absolutely light the world on fire, you're going to get snubbed once before right. you make it. There's at least, delay. but with right. David Bakhtiari, he's been snubbed three, four times. That's why he's extra soapbox. So, uh, I don't know if you were in at Aaron Rodgers' regular at his locker availability or if you were off uh, officiating arguments and fights that were occurring in the <laughs> locker room today, which was crazy. Um, not with players, I want to be clear. It was media. It was either media on media or media on public relations. It was staff. definitely some media on media <laughs> crime in there today. I like when the media gets frisky and not with the players. It's something to watch. So when- if you listen, if you had to, if you had to rank. The media, if, if we would put you guys in a death match, and, and who is the one guy you would not want to face? And who is the one guy that you absolutely feel confident you're coming out of that ring against? So Rob Domofsky, A, is a good friend, but B, it's kind of like that old Seinfeld episode where George is asking who would win a fight between me and, <laughs> and, and Jerry. I think he's a little George. I think he would fight dirty, you know, groin stuff, that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. I, I don't want to be part of that. Do you, well, why do you say that about Rob? Because he comes off as such a nice guy. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a facade. It's definitely a facade. I can't wait to leave. There's, there's a story there you need to drop on us. <laughs> well, I need him as a cousin so sub you, on the days we can't yeah, get you. So who do you feel comfortable going in against? Ooh, good question. So, Wes Hodkowitz, who works with you on Packers.com. You feel good against Wes? Well, here's think, what I'm going to say. No, I think Wes is like a little spider monkey. I think he might and get crazy. And he loves MMA. Yeah, he might get crazy. So, he looks like this kind of mild-mannered, likable young man, who he is, 
but I would hate to get into the octagon with him. Yeah, okay. So so there's two I don't guys. know if there's anybody that I there can take go. in the media. Okay, that sounds great. You just I just wanted to two, get those two references. Two guys, two guys that you don't want to face. There's nobody that you do want to face. Jason yeah, Willie. I'm, I'm a pacifist. He's acknowledging he's the low man in the in the fight. Low category. man wins. That's yeah. at least when it comes to leverage. Uh, getting uh, So getting back to the Pro Bowl quickly, because I know you've got a lot of things you want to address here on the 11th episode of the Coon Podcast. Um, Brian Bulaga, I tried to argue to your good friend Mark Tauscher, who also was snubbed for some Pro Bowls during his career, that they should have a right tackle and a left tackle. Because everybody votes for the left tackles because that's left tackle. Yeah. And right tackles have a tough time getting in. It's a different, it's a different beast. Now, people like to say that the left tackles make it because they're the better tackles. But I disagree with that. I don't, I don't think so. It has I mean, changed. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, th- that right tackle position, you, you said it, the game has changed and teams have acknowledged that they put their better tackles at the left. So now they do things to attack the right tackle. Right. And when you see a guy like Brian Balaga and some of the stuff that he's done, you just wonder how he's never gotten in. It's just, it's mind boggling. So two more things. One, uh, while the fights were going on elsewhere in the locker room, Rogers was talking about something that you just said. So you guys, I know you guys are good friends, so it makes sense. But he said the biggest thing is the acknowledgement from your peers and from the coaches mm-hmm. that they see you. And, and for a guy like him, who if you're spending time on Twitter and looking at the people that like to post video and break down different players, or you're just seeing kind of the shouting radio or TV shows that are out there, it's been, a, you know, there's been more criticism of Rodgers again this year than mm-hmm. there has been in the past. So it did sound like it meant something to him. It sure does. It sure does. And, and, and like I said, these guys, if, if, a guy, if a guy goes to the Pro Bowl and he says, ah, it doesn't matter, he's lying because he, you know, he had, he's in it, you know, so he, he can kind of play that shtick. And if a guy who doesn't go, he's just salty because he's not going. Now, for Aaron, this, this means something because it, it validates the fact that the criticism that he's taken this year has been, for the most part, unwarranted. Now, he has accepted at times he's missed some throws, and he has sure. but he still has, has in, in my eyes, you know, between him and Aaron Jones, they've carried this football team for a large portion of the season. And there's throws, there's specific throws throughout the course of the year that you can point at singularly and say, that throw just won the game. Right. Um, your three Pro Bowls all in Honolulu or no? No, no. no. Well, the f- two were and one was in Arizona. In Arizona, yeah, before the Arizona Super Bowl, because they so they did one in I think Rogers' first one is in was in like Miami, I want to yeah, say it was Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Something. And now yeah. they're playing it in Orlando all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Uh, best experience for you at the Pro Bowl, whether it was in Hawaii or Arizona or wherever it might have been. Well, I I loved uh, going to Hawaii for it because that's what everybody knows the Pro Bowl for. You right. get off the plane, and the Pro Bowl uh, welcome committee is there. And they're you get a lay right they're away? They're throwing these lays on you. And they're not the fake ones. They're not the ones that you Real buy. Real flowers. They're not the ones that you buy at the Dollar Tree. These are the ones that, that they made themselves. They sewed themselves, and they smelled, they smelled great. And uh, and and you try and keep them alive. I don't know why. Like you're going to save a lay, but you you know you try not to ruin the thing. And it's it's it, that that really meant something. Just going there because when I was a kid growing up, I remember watching the Pro Bowl skills challenges and just thinking, man, how cool is this? It's winter. It's brutally cold here. And I'm watching these guys have a fun in the sand and, and doing all these cool things out at the Pro Bowl. So to me, just showing up in Hawaii and, and getting that experience with the guys and, and to me, the best part about the Pro Bowl is not necessarily the game. The best part is getting to find out a little bit more about the guys that you see on Sundays as your peers that are just superstars, and you may yourself be fans of them, which is kind of it's just it's just weird irony to be out there with these guys that you look up to and you admire their game, and here you are uh, in between practices sharing a meal or a cocktail and and just getting to find out a little bit more about them about them teams, and what you do find out is everybody is kind of the same. 
Everybody has their axe to grind about their team and things they didn't do right that year and why they didn't win the Super Bowl. Because the only people that are at the Pro Bowl now right. are the teams not right. in the Super Bowl. So you get to find out what everybody thought happened, everything that's going wrong on every other team, and you get to kind of take a step back and say, huh, yeah, see, it's like this everywhere. So um, I didn't even let you finish, which I apologize for, because it is your podcast, even though you introduced me as if I was some sort of special guest today. Um, who did get snubbed? I, I mentioned Bulaga. Um, Aaron Rodgers mentioned Mason Crosby. I'm guessing you... You agree with that one for sure? Yes, I do agree with Mason, but I I have to I have to admit that the guy he got snubbed for, Will Lutz. There's there's a reason he got snubbed this year. I mean, okay. Mason um, is third in the NFL, number one in the NFC in field goal percentage, but last year that was Will Lutz. And that's the man who made it this year. He was number one in the league in field goal percentage, and he, in my mind, got snubbed last year. So was, this was he your kicker when you were there? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you know so, him. Yeah. So he, you know, he had the makeup um, Pro Bowl this year for his snubbing last year, and he also had a pretty good year this year. He had something like forty more points to Mason because they've kicked a ton Correct. of field goals and extra points down there in New Orleans. So that's one. Yeah, you can call Mason a snub, but that's a valid snub to me. Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark, he's fifth in the league um, in in nose tackles, guys on the inside um, in sacks with his five. And he's, I think, number two. I think the only person in the league with more pressures, quarterback pressures, than him is Aaron Donald. Correct. Now, the thing about Kenny is he has come on late right now and had two or three really great games as of recently. Statistically. And sometimes that hurts you. Sometimes it's better to be great at the beginning of the season than here at the end of the season. Even with the total work that you have might be great. If it, if it comes later, closer to the votes, guys are looking at these guys that they saw earlier in the year and they're remembering those things a little more vividly. Um, and, and kind of on the same token, uh, a guy like Aaron Jones, you know, he, he's he's had such a great year, um, but the running back position is fickle, right? Because the running back position, you almost need to have a thousand yards by the time you vote, because that that's considered right. the benchmark for running for running back greatness. And all three guys do, and that all got three guys do him. this year do have a thousand yards. Now, if you look at those guys, they all have over three hundred touches on the season, right. and Aaron Jones doesn't. There's a reason for that, because the Packers are trying to monitor his touches so that he's fresh here down the stretch, and he is. You look at Dalvin Cook, one of the guys who made it, one of the guys with over 300 touches, he's not fresh, and no. he has not produced the last month of the season. He's probably not going to play on Monday way, night either. The way that Aaron Jones has produced the last month of the season, but like I said, he's hit that 1,000-yard threshold, and he played stellar for the first half of the season. So um, you mentioned Kenny Clark, and I want to take advantage of your football acumen here because I this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. I did a story for The Athletic about a month ago, and I talked to Jerry Montgomery, and I talked to Mike Patton, and I talked to Kenny Clark, but I also called a couple of scouts because their argument was that he's getting double-teamed a lot. Yeah. And that just because he hasn't made splash plays doesn't mean he's not making plays. Mm -hmm. And so I called. I have a couple of buddies that are scouts that I know well enough to say, hey, am I? Yeah, I usually would get all kinds of insight into the fullback position here in Green Bay. (laughs) Um, But I said, look, are these guys feeding me a line of bull? Mm -hmm. And he's like, and they're both like, Jason, are you watching the game? Like, I almost embarrassed myself with this call. (laughs) But I wanted to make sure because, you know, there there can be positive spin, whatever else. And they're like, no, no, no. Look at look at how teams are blocking him, uh-huh. and then you'll understand. Sometimes that's the best thing he can do is to eat up two blocks so someone else can make a play. Well, think about this. Okay, so another the last guy I would say possible snub would be Zadarius Smith, who leads the league in quarterback pressures, not in sacks, right. um, but pressures, and he still is in double digit sacks. So he's had a fantastic season. They move him around a lot, and uh, and teams have been kind of. I don't want to say letting him get his one-on-ones, but he's been getting one-on-ones a lot. Right. As of late, teams have been sliding the line to him. Right, and that's and what that's happened in the last game. And that's opening up 
Kenny Clark, and that's why we're seeing in this last three, four weeks, Kenny Clark playing uh, what we thought was going to be all year, even though he has been. But this is the splash plays right. that we thought he was going to make all year because he is getting the one-on-ones because the attention's going the other way. It truly is a team game, and the more stars that you have, they, they, they all can thrive if they're all together. Right. Um, all right. So good. I feel better. Yeah. I always feel better when somebody who knows more can about I, football can, can confirm I do that. need to know, though. The Packers are thirteen and three. I get their, no. They're eleven and three. Uh, They'll be thirteen and I'm, three if they win their next I'm, two. I'm sorry. They are eleven you're, and three. You're counting your chickens. Yeah, I am counting my chickens. <laughs> they're eleven and three, and the Ravens are twelve and two. Correct. And the Ravens got twelve guys into the Pro Bowl. Twelve. They got one third of the Pro Bowl roster is Ravens. Yeah. And the Packers got two, and and. And some people were saying that the the two guys that made it for the Packers made it off of their name and they didn't even have their best seasons and stuff. How can it possibly be that two teams separated by one game can be so drastically differently represented in the Pro Bowl? So um, how many times were you all pro? Twice. Okay. So I don't know what your perspective is on that. For me, there's a panel of 50 media members. And they vote on all Are you the, one of them? I am not. Oh. Tom Silverstein in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has the vote here in Green Bay. And then there's some national votes, but it's somebody in every city. Has Tom uh, always had the vote? I need to go talk. Yeah, about you should thank him for all those times he voted for you. <laughs> um, but, but I've always viewed... You know they don't vote for pro or uh, all pro fullbacks anymore? Fullback, they've eliminated it, really? It is eliminated. They now have what's called a flex position, which is generally really? just another wide receiver or running back. I didn't know that. See, I think I'm the, not a voter. I, I think see. the All Pro is more skewed than the Pro Bowl. Oh, really? And yeah. I was going to go the other way yeah. and say that I feel like more often than not they get that one right than I, they do with the Pro Bowl. You could make that argument, but my problem with the All Pro is you get guys making All Pro at two different positions. They don't play two different positions. Right. They play one position. So the other year. Um, I think it was David Johnson got first team All Pro as a flex and got second team All Pro as a running back. Like, are you serious? No, you shouldn't be able to. And 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 Khalil Mack got All Pro at outside linebacker and, and defensive, defensive end. end. Now I would argue if you look at his stats and you're saying, oh, well, he plays defensive end and sub, and he plays you know outside linebacker and base. Okay, well look at what he does in base then. And if he's had enough sacks and base to be all pro, then okay. But if you're taking that route, you got to cut his sack, his stats in half. Right. I don't. I, I guess I didn't realize that that has happened to it, because for me, when I've looked at it, it has always been that. And I learned this is one of my favorite stories about the Pro Bowl is Mike Flanagan, who I don't think you guys crossed no. over. I think he left before you got here, um, but he was a uh, Pro Bowl center. But one year, he was the team rep, two for the NFLPA, and he decided that the best way to help his fellow teammates, because you can't vote for your own guys, was to vote for the crappiest guys possible. That was a thing. That was a thing back in the day. People did that. You walked in, and when I was young in the tooth, <laughs> and I walked in as a pup and had no business voting for Pro Bowl, I looked on, I looked on the dry erase board, and there was a team written up there on guys we were, we were supposed to vote for. They've, they've since... Um, cracked down on they, that? They have cracked down on that, and the PR guys are in there making sure it's, it's on the up and up. But for a while, you just... Because the players said, you know what? This thing is so convoluted that we don't right. trust the other side. We're just going to basically eliminate the players' votes for one another, and we're just going to go and let the scouts and, and the coaches right. pick these teams. Well, that's, uh, that's probably more Pro Bowl talk than either one of us was anticipating. What else yeah. is on your on your radar because i i know i tend to come in here and and kind of set the agenda and and you should set the it's the john coon podcast so what's on your mind well i mean a big story this week is tom Coughlin, the nflpa story that that came out yeah and what do you what take us through that from your perspective especially having had some experience with the nflpa yeah i you know so i i definitely agree that that there was some uh, finagling of the way that fines were being dealt and that it was a little bit more liberal than it probably should have been down there in in the fine 
realm. But I, I have to say, he was brought into Jacksonville to kind of rein in a culture of right. looseness. Right, be the bad and, cop. And, and he came down there to do that because it worked so well his first time around in Jacksonville because he was the first coach right. for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then it worked up in New York. Now, if you listen to Michael Strahan ever talk about Tom Coughlin, he always he, he kind of plays both sides. It's like he, he has the angel on one side that talks for a little bit, and he has the devil on the other shoulder that breaks out and says, yeah, it was just, it was just always on your mind. Am I going to get fined? Am I going to get fined? And then, you know, but the angel said, yeah, but but you're winning and keeping guys. Is it really that bad? Is it right. really that bad to just suck it up and listen? And to really understand Tom Coughlin, you got to understand his background. I mean, the guy was from a, he was brought up in a military family. He had a military background and he was very regimented, very stern. And I would say not much dissimilar from Vince Lombardi. No the way question. Vince, the way Vince ran his football teams. And the thing is, when you have success, it's so easy at that point in time to get guys to buy in. Now, I know other coaches around the league instill fines as well. So to me, I'm really intrigued by this because I want to know how far did it go. Because on some teams, they will say to you, hey, you finished the year on IR. You had an injury. We didn't pass you on your physical. So you're going to stay here to rehab with us until we pass you. And some guys call balk on that and, and leave anyways. And if they have a big enough name, maybe the team bends back and says, okay, well, we're actually not going to find you, but we want to know where you're going for rehab. We want to know where you're going for treatment. And they kind of work it out in-house. Okay. This is a case with Dante Fowler in the Jacksonville Jaguars where – Fowler said, you know what, I'm, I'm not rehabbing with you guys. I'm going somewhere else, and I'm treating somewhere else, and you guys are just going to have to deal with that. And to me, this is, this is a case where both sides uh, were just very stern in the way that they were going to go about it. And it just did, it, it did not end clean. It, no. it ended up very bad. Now, I will say the whole spiel from the NFLPA with, I would, I would sincerely – um, think about your decision to go down there as a player and consider if you're choosing Jacksonville in free agency. If they're loading a contract with $50 million, it's not going to matter. <laughs> These guys are still going to go to sunny Florida. Plus, they're not going to pay state tax. Correct. There. There's a lot of reasons to still go down to Jacksonville. Yeah, but to there, play are, there are dysfunctional franchises that. There sure are. If you have. If, like. For you, for example, obviously you have become uh, a an icon, uh, a folk hero, as I like to call you. But <laughs> but this is an organization, and look, I'll say it so you don't have to because you're employed by them. There's still dysfunction in even great franchises. It's not it's not oh everything is sunshine and rainbows and seashells and balloons here. But there are a lot of really good. Things you know. I love seashells and balloons, <laughs> but but there are teams that you just look at, and you know this from your time, both playing in the league and now covering it. There are just places that are they just scream dysfunction, oh, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Even they change the people, yep. maybe they even change the ownership, and there's still dysfunction. And yeah. Jacksonville, for the most part, fits that mold. And they brought in a guy to try and change that and be more regimented. And then he's the one who ends up getting fired. And so I don't know what Shad Khan and his folks down there are going to do. But it is a place where, yes, if they're going to pay you significantly more than somebody else, sure. But if you've got a couple of offers and they're all kind of close, that's not helping your cause if you want to, If the Jaguars want you. Yeah, it's it's a tough pitch. Now, I will say there's a lot of things not going for the Jaguars. You're, you're going to play one game in London every year. Right. Um, the they are they have been they had that good run of about two years a few years ago, but they have been struggling um since then to to kind of create that identity and and make up who they are but i, I still go back to um m- money walks in the n f l it it does and it, they have a salary cap that they have to spend. So players are still going to go down there and for play sure. and play football for the Jaguars. Now, Doug Marone's got a tough task here because now he has to try and instill confidence 
to his players that he's going to do the right thing, but he's also got he's also has this trick of trying to get this new age athlete. Everything about the new age athlete, and it started with you know really the NBA and how they um, kind of dictate where they go and right. their contracts and how much they're going to play, and you know that's trickling into to other sports now. And these athletes are realizing their leverage and the power that they actually have. So he's got this trick now. These players kind of won here. They just kicked out the bully. Right. So now Doug Marone, it, what kind of spot is he in? Because he's got he's got to try and rein these guys in to believe in him that he's going to do what's best by them. But if he does something or if he suggests something that they don't like, do they feel empowered enough that they can say, "Well, we're not going to listen to that one either." Right. I mean, to me, that is a challenging, challenging spot for Doug Marone. And and going back to Coughlin, there was a time you mentioned Strahan. There was a time where those guys were openly revolting against him, and it turned out to be a year that they went and won the Super Bowl. Yep. Like at the beginning of the year, though, it was like borderline mutiny. Yeah, it was borderline mutiny. Borderline Tom Coughlin's out of here. Like I remember. Michael Strahan doing a conference call with us before you guys were going to play them in the regular season. Was it 07 that it you guys played them? Yeah. yeah. And he he basically told us like how much everybody hates playing there. Yeah. And then by the end of the year there they are lifting the Lombardi trophy, mm-hmm. which was just wild. So But that goes to that goes back to it, the the angel on his shoulder. If you listen to him talk, he ta- he still acknowledges those moments of of mutiny, but he also comes back and he says, "Well, I, was it? Is it really that hard? Is it really that bad to buy in? Does it make us better?" And when they question that and they actually buy in, uh, they saw how good that they could actually be. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see where that goes from there. But I will say this: I bet you very rarely, if ever, got fined. I got fined one time in my career. One time, it was. To me, it was a big fine, too, $3,300. Ooh, what did you do? I came in late to a team meeting. Did you have have an excuse? Because you apparently did not have a good excuse. I didn't give an excuse. I I didn't even give an excuse. I didn't have anything worth giving, so I didn't give anything. I just, I took it, and I took it like a man, and I wrote that thing off as uh, a a deduction (laughs) on my taxes, and and I, I just, I took that hit. I ate that one up. Are there guys, again, no names, but are there guys that are habitual offenders? Oh, yeah. Oh, and they, yeah. They, they, don't, they just don't mind giving away their I money? Knew, I knew a lineman at one point in time who would just never make weight. He just never. And, and you agree on these weights at the beginning of the year, these weights that you have to weigh? Are his initials empty? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. And, and you agree on these weights at the beginning of the year, and you actually sign a paper saying, I agree to this being my weight for the football season, and I acknowledge the fine of, I think it was at the time, $660 a pound for every pound that I'm over. And you can get weighed twice a week, but we only got weighed once a week, and this lineman was overweight every single week, paid the fine every single week, and when he negotiated his new contract, he said to the team, I don't care what you are willing to offer me. Whatever it is, you add 30000 on top of that because that's what you've taken to me in fines the last four or five years. I love it. You, I, I remember you You were filling in for Tausch one day, and you told the story about your own, like, wait, there was, like, a challenge of, of like, coming to an agreement yeah. on that wait, uh, right? There's, yeah. a, there's, like, a negotiation yeah, there is. for it. Yeah, and I was, for when I started in the league, they gave me the weight of 261. Never came close to it. But they gave me the weight of 261. I always played around 255. Okay. And so one year I come in and, and they say, all right, well, here's your, here's your weight paper. It said 255. I said, what is this? This is like six years, seven years in the league. Okay. And they said, this is 255. This is what you weigh. This is what we want you to stay at. I said, no, no, no. I, I want my 261 back. I'll, you can go talk to the strength coach. You can talk to the trainers. You can talk to the nutritionist. You can talk to everybody. But I don't want the chance of one week I eat a little bit too much on Tuesday and I weigh 256 and you guys are docking me for 600 pounds. This isn't going to work. Right. So there was a little nego- negotiation going on back and forth. It took about three days, but we got that thing back up to 261. So for those of us that have never been elite professional athletes, I sit here and hear you say that, and I'm sure our avid podcast listeners hear you and say hear you say that. Six pounds, 
Six pounds. So could you as a player tell the keep, difference? Keep, yeah, yes, I could. Now keep in mind, it's not, it's not uncommon for us professional athletes, some of us, to gain six, eight pounds in a day through eating and hydrating or losing 12 pounds at a single practice. So there is, there is, you, there's you, fluctuations. There's, there's huge, massive fluctuations, and you have to be aware of the weigh ins and be aware of, of when they're happening and how you eat and how you prepare the day before, um, how much you hydrate, everything. It, it all goes in. And I say sometimes, like a lot of work. Sometimes the weight comes back to bite you because some of these guys that are close to their weights that sign the paper that's too close to what they can actually do or actually are willing to do. They gotta. They they can't drink water the night before. That's never a good idea. And that's terrible for right. athletes. It's terrible. So it's so you could. T- but let's say you played at two sixty a, a week, or you played at two fifty. You know. Oh, yeah. Let's go five yard uh, five say, on either yeah, side. When I say most of the time I played at two fifty five, that was for the majority of my career. But definitely towards the end, I was closer to two fifty eight, two fifty nine. And there were times when we played. When you know when we were going to the Super Bowl and even two thousand eleven and twelve, when I was touching the ball a lot, running a lot of routes, right. where I played at two fifty, and I could tell a massive difference between my play at two fifty and. 258 and at 250 i could run routes i was cleaner in and out of my breaks i was a much quicker first step but i was running a lot of routes and i was doing a lot of pass pro i i struggled a little bit in lead blocking at 250. right that's what i was gonna ask yeah because the guys you know the the big linebackers the big tough linebackers i didn't have as much now at 258 I felt like I could stalemate anybody in the hole and push them back and 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 as soon as i got my hands on them i owned them but I struggled on routes, and I, I got tired faster, and I was a little sloppier as a runner. So what's got you riled up about officiating this week? Well, I mean, I just thought it was an interesting story that came out this week that the NFL is most likely going to be getting rid of the instant replay for pass interference. Yeah, they, mean, they, uh, by the way, they already did. I mean, hasn't that been an <laughs> epic fail? Have we not learned? I thought we learned this two years ago when they put in the penalty for landing on top of the quarterback, which right. is actually still around because the Packers benefited from it Correct. earlier this year in Kansas City. Yes, and so, now they're going back to a place that really inspired the, yeah. the call. So it's, it's, it's wild to me because that thing, that penalty... They decided they they took the internal way of of kind of monitoring that and said, listen, let's just not call it. Let's right. just not call it because it's silly. It's foolish, you know. But then one snuck out this year for us against Kansas City, which I thought was wild. But now, to me, it's a it's it's a really bad look to put this pass interference review in play for the year, and now the year's not even done, and you're already saying. You're going to get rid of it. But didn't they already – they've said it with the way they've officiated it, right? I mean, when I saw that story, I saw the same one you did. It didn't really – it didn't surprise me because literally you challenge it and nothing ever happens. And then in last week's game, uh-huh. out of nowhere, uh-huh. there's a – it's over. And we're like, well, the previous play is under review. And I'm, I'm sitting next uh-huh. to other guys that – under review for what? Well, the game actually wasn't over after that. As we found out, they still True. had a lot of football left to True. play. But when you watched that, and they reviewed it from New York, didn't you, in the back of your mind, think, oh, this is it. This is the time that the Packers are finally going to get... Right. They're going to be on the wrong this, side This, this is going to be the time that they actually got job this year, because for the most part, we've been on the beneficial side. Don't, You're right. Don't forget the first time we played the Vikings, they took a touchdown off the board for... An offensive pass interference that nobody in the stadium looking at the review knew right. was offensive pass interference. You're right. So it it you know, it has. I would say for the most part they have not overturned, and it's been very questionable. But there have been some times when they have overturned, and it's been just as questionable. This is this to me has been the biggest <laughs> blunder of a of a rule. You can't put these guys in this position. It's already hard enough to be a referee. So I guess my question, though, is because one of the people leading the charge is somebody that you think very highly of in Sean Payton. Absolutely. And I understand that his team was the one that got jobbed, so it made sense that he would be leading the charge. What I haven't understood, and you help, help me understand this, 
I don't understand why, if you have decided to put in the rule yeah. and the review of such plays, that when the replay clearly shows that it occurred, why you don't just call it. Like, it, I don't understand the, that. The, the, the actual definition of the rule is not bad. It's right, that's the thing. It's the execution. There should never be challenges on it. There should be... Do you see how, how soccer does it is the right way? And I hate to say that, <laughs> but how soccer... Now, in soccer, did you watch the last... I did. Okay, so what happens in soccer is if there is a penalty that they missed, instead of somebody throwing a challenge flag and, and replay, there's just people watching it upstairs, and they just simply buzz the guy, and they say, hey... We got a problem here. You guys missed an offsides on that goal. Right. You know, or you guys missed a handball. You know, they just they just have a guy who's there to fix the things. The sky judge, who if you fixes will. fixes things when it's so egregious that it just should be fixed. Right. And it's and, a game-changing mistake. Yeah, and that guy fixes it. I don't understand why we can't do the same thing. Now, I'm all for letting guys play. So let them play. I don't think if the refs didn't call that pass interference on Jair Alexander that it should have been turned into pass interference. But I don't disagree if they would have called him for defensive holding or pass right. interference on the play. I wouldn't have disagreed with that either. And you can't do anything about defensive holding. No. And I think maybe that's why it wasn't called because the ball wasn't out of the quarterback's hand, so it's not pass interference. Um, it is an interesting dance that they have done, but you're right. It It's clearly not going to stay the way it is. My issue is simply you put it on the books. There have been instances in Packers games where they were not called and guys should have benefited from it on, yep. on the Packers roster. Mm -hmm. And then there's plays like Kevin King's interception where oh, he boy. beats the living crap out of the Michael receiver. Ga Michael Gallup looked like he was receiving a standing eight count at the end of that play. Right! <laughs> and he gets an interception and there's nothing looked at. Uh, I mean, and on and, top and, of that, it's an interception, it's an so it's automatically reviewed. Yeah, and, and, and I saw one a few weeks ago where Casey Hayward, former Packer, was covering down the field, made a tremendous defensive play. They called pass interference. It was under two minutes. They didn't even review oh, it, wow. and it led to the game-winning field goal. It was clearly a, a, an instance where Isn't the offense... Isn't that exactly what you're trying to prevent right there? Yes. Outcome changing? One hunt. That's the exact reason why you put it in, and it just doesn't work. So, well, that's enough ref talk. Let's let's move on. What do you want to talk about? Well, I do want to talk about the playoff outlook. I do love that. It's isn't this as tight as you could really imagine? The top of the NFC to be right now. I can't remember. I mean, and again, there's always a recency bias. So, off the top of my head, I can't remember a year. Where a conference, I look. There's been years. Didn't the didn't the Patriots the year that Brady was hurt go eleven and five and miss the playoffs? Yes. So there have been years where there were anomalies like this, but I can't remember a year where the top five teams were so packed so in tight together. This late. four different teams could still be the one, the two, the three, or the five or six. Right. They could be all of that. Right. NFC East winners the four. That's really all we know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 outrageous to me. And you, you kind of set you kind of set the stage for these last two weeks. Even though you're not eliminated with these games, these games are playoff games. Sure. Look at who these guys are playing. And and the poor forty nine poor forty nineers. The poor forty niners have literally played juggernauts week after week right. after week. And here they go, they finish with the Rams, who still have a shot at the playoffs. Right. And the Seahawks at the Seahawks. It's it's just it is playoff football. And they're going to slug it out that last game because whoever wins that is most likely going going to get a buy and quite Correct. possibly the number one seed. And whoever loses is going to be on the road the very next week. Do you think, and I want to talk more about the actual picture of it, but from a purely logistical standpoint, do you think that the NFL should do away with the six playoff teams being based on 
division no, and I anything like, like that. No, See, I, like I don't. It. I like it too. I yeah. don't. I, listen, we all. It, the The number one thing at the start of the year is win your division. Win your division, and you're in, and you know that. You know, I I, right. I, I love four division winners getting in, and I love four division winners at least hosting a playoff game. It, it, make it worth something to win your division, and not all divisions are created equal. You know, I'm I'm sorry, they're just not. And that's just the way it is. Right. You know, you talk about oh, the NFC West is going to get crushed this year because one of these great teams is going to have to go on the road. Well, you know what? The NFC West was rewarded back in 2010 when a 7-9 and nine team got to host the game. Right. So it, it comes back around. You know, this thing's cyclical, and I, and I love keeping it. Um, another thing I think is interesting about the playoff seating is when you look at the AFC side, okay? It, it's like you got last year everybody loved the Chiefs. They were everybody's top ticket right. to make it to the Super Bowl, and they nearly did. Overtime loss in the right. NFC Championship game. But they finished 12-4. and four. This year, everybody's talking about the Ravens. Talking about the Ravens, and they're a great team. They are. Nobody's really talking about the Chiefs, and look at them. They're going to finish the year again at probably 12-4. You're, right. You're right. And they're going to be a dangerous, dangerous out. I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at the, the NFC, and I'm trying to make a comparison. Who is the team flying under the radar right now that people don't really expect them to be great? So I don't know enough about the Chiefs. They obviously spent some of the season without Patrick Mahomes. He missed, what, two games, three games? Yeah. Um, their defense has been up and down. Um, really up lately. Uh, indeed. And now they just got Terrell Suggs to, to throw in opposite of Frank Clark. I thought he was only going to play if he got picked up by the Ravens. <laughs> he didn't seem to mind that one too much, did no, he? No, he did not. Um, but based on what happens on Monday night, I might say this team is that under-the-radar team. Yeah, if they go I think in they there, need to win it for me to say that. Yeah, they go in there and they win against Minnesota. I think I don't think they'll be under the radar anymore. I think a lot of teams. I think a lot of teams are are people are doubting them. A lot of people are doubting the Patriots too now. It's like these two teams have three law. The Packers and the Patriots are almost the exact same team in different conferences. Tom Brady doesn't have it anymore. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have it anymore. You're right. They keep winning ugly. But both teams are sitting themselves at, at the two seed right now, and both teams have big games against playoff teams coming this week and can make a huge statement around the NFL. I just think this is, even more than statements, I think this is huge for the Packers because you win this game, you beat Detroit, you are a top-two seed. Whether you're one or you're two, it's one fewer game you have to win in the playoffs. It means the second round you are playing at home. And then if you can win at home in the divisional round, which is not a gimme, you lost one yourself. But if you can do it's that, a coin flip, you get the home field the next game, right? And then if you can win that, you you're basically one game away from the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, yeah. even if you're on the road in the NFC Championship. And game. and with these teams so crowded at the top, like we said, doesn't that just tell you how important home field is in the absolutely playoffs? how important playing two games versus three games is? You get to sit and watch for a week, get healthy, two weeks between games, while somebody else has to go slug it out against one of these other really tough teams. I just think home field is everything in this year's playoffs. There's a reason why what you guys did in 2010 and the Steelers team that you were on in 2005, and what was it, the other one, the Giants one year when they won the Super Bowl, I think, um, there's a reason why that's so hard. Yeah, that's why your 2010 team is remarkable because it went on the road three straight weeks and won. Yeah, on the road, like as much as 2011 was a disappointment for you guys, you had set yourselves up for such a great opportunity. Win two at home and boom, we're in. Yeah, and that's why it was such a gut punch, right? Uh-huh. You look back on 2007. You're the number two seed. You didn't have to play the opening weekend. Then you win at home when Ryan Grant comes back from his fumbles. Yeah. And now, because Dallas loses, you're getting to play at home in the NFC Championship game. Boy, I go back and forth on that all the time, and I think we sat there and celebrated at home because we had won that game on a Saturday. And we had we were celebrating at our homes on Sunday, watching the Giants beat the Cowboys, thinking, yeah, we got the Cowboys at home, or we got the Giants at home. Right. 
right. home instead of the Cowboys. This is gonna be great. This right. is gonna be fantastic. I mean, it's like it's 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 a, just a boost. It's a huge boost. Now we lost the game, so maybe we should have went and played Dallas in Dallas. Right. Um, it, it is. It's it's humongous. It's it's everything that that you want and everything that you need, especially when you talk about the home field advantages that these teams get. Because when you look at the Saints and you look at the Packers, and you think how the game will be different if it's played in oh, New Orleans hugely. or in Lambeau. You talk about the Saints and how their offense is predicated off of the, the duo run play action and quick passes. Imagine doing that in 10 degrees right. on a slippery field. Right. You're right. <laughs> we'll talk You're about the absolutely field. right. And you talk about versus going down there and facing that on a fast track in a dome with no atmosphere, you know, no, no, no weather problems, nothing like that. It's right. a drastically different game. And I think it tilts to the Packers if they get it at home. And you've got a quarterback who plays well in, in bad weather, who has the ability to, to, he's got big hands, he's able to throw the football with so many revolutions to cut through wind. You know where you, I always thought the offense is generally at the advantage in bad weather because you know where you're going and the defense yes. doesn't. Yes. But if you're an offense that is predicated on that kind of precision and speed and you're used to having that as an advantage yeah. and now you don't, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And the noise fat let's not forget, like Lambeau Field to to Matt LaFleur's credit, you know, we all kind of were needling him a little bit. <laughs> Boy, new guy comes in and he's insulting the fan base, telling them they need to be louder and they're trying out foghorns. Well, he was right, and the fans have responded. It has become tougher to play here. They have responded, and it has become tougher to play here. And you feel like that home field presence is back for the Green Bay right. Packers, something they've missed the last few years. And you really are starting to think if the Packers can get these home games, they put themselves in position to win these playoff games versus traveling to Seattle or New Orleans or San Francisco. I mean, those those three challenges are just – it's it's – Packers, come on, let's get this win right. against the Vikings because that is huge. Right, and and you've played in those venues. I, look, San Francisco, it sounds like they have improved their home field um, over to me, To me, the big years. thing about San Francisco, playing them in San Francisco, and why you want to have them here is what wrecked that game for us in San Francisco. I mean, their offense did have... Uh, 300 yards on 45 plays and 36 points. You know that that's tough. But um, if you can get that defense on this field, that's going to change it because that defense wrecked us. They were coming off the ball. They were penetrating our offensive line. They were collapsing the pocket, and they won't do that here to that extent. They just won't. They're a great defense, but that will not happen here. You see pass rushers come here like Khalil Mack last week, and they get neutralized because the field is not as fast, so they don't get as quick a a jump off the ball. It's colder, so they're not, again, they're not getting as quick off the ball, and they have to worry about the cadence of Aaron Rodgers here, where at home they don't worry about it as much. The communication between Aaron and Coach here, it's much quicker. It's not right. They're not rushing up to the line with 10 seconds left like they were in San Francisco. They're getting up to the line with 20 seconds here. That's why the home field, true. There's, there's so and you many sleep reasons, in your bed. And you sleep in your bed. There's so many reasons why home field matters more than just the noise. And I think right. the noise is a factor in Seattle and New Orleans. But I think the play style is a factor with San Francisco. I agree. Um, I think we set a record on this one. I think this is our longest podcast that we've done. Should we talk about the Vikings? We should ask uh, Ashton Rothenberg if what the timing was on it. Um, we should talk about the Vikings before we call it a day. What do you see from them? Dalvin Cook not expected to play. Alexander Madison not expected to play. Boom, Looks like boom. Mike Boone will be their running back potentially. Mm-hmm. Um I think you have to be a little bit careful about thinking kind of like uh, your, hey, we got the Giants at home. No, I will acknowledge that because their offensive line has been playing much better. Um, And they are rotating eight guys on their defensive front. So they're going to be fresh on defense with them being at home and that big rotation. But 
they've had troubles in the secondary. They're not even really starting. Well, they're starting them, but they're not really playing Rhodes yeah, or Wayne anymore. They're just I, whether that's a confidence thing or they've just been beat up. But they're 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 playing the young guys more. So they 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 definitely have some insecurities on their back end. Now I will say this: if there's ever a time to catch this team, it's right now. I mean, it, Kirk Cousins is playing much better at the end of the year, True. but without those two running backs that you just named, everything that Kirk Cousins has done great has been set up by those two running backs in the play-action game. If Mike Pettin can get the defensive front to play good against the run on their way to the quarterback, that will limit the time that it takes to be able to set up and throw the ball in play-action. I think the Packers have a great shot here this week to make that statement that we were talking about. And and the line's five and a half points, and I, I just think this is a prime opportunity because I do think the Packers match up well in their defensive front to be able to put that pressure on Kirk Cousins, and they can because Dalvin Cook and Madison are not playing. Now, I'm not saying Boone's a slouch. He still had 50 yards and two touchdowns right. in the second half against the Chargers. But they, he is not the same as those other two guys. And if the Packers can use that to their advantage by getting after Kirk Cousins, he, I, I just I want to see it happen. And, hey, should we just add he's 0-8 in primetime games? Uh, his teams are 0-8 in primetime games. <laughs> it's not a quarterback <laughs> win statistic. Uh, last thing, what does the Packers offense have to do in this environment against this defense, what are kind of the what, what's on your well, checklist? As I watched that last game against the Chargers, the Vikings were kind of you know they were just kind of plodding along. There was nothing really great going on, and then Philip Rivers and the Chargers decided to give the ball to them seven times. They gave up the ball seven times without punting. That is unbelievable. If the Packers go in here, they cannot turn the ball over. If they can go in there, control the football, and accept playing maybe a longer type game, which they've played almost every game down to the wire this year, accept that and make some big plays, I think they have a great shot. Again, I mentioned how the secondary is fractured back there. You limit the impact that Harrison Smith can can make. So when you're when you're targeting in the secondary, you're making sure you're targeting where he is not because he makes everybody better on that defense. So you, you, you get around that and you try and get Aaron Jones the ball in space. If you can do that, if you can make that if you can force them to go full eighty yard fields and, and you can keep field position and keep possession of the ball, I think the Green Bay Packers offense will have done a great job. You'll be on the sideline for the Packers radio network, I assume you'll be shouting because it gets it's not the Metrodome, but it is loud in that place. Yeah, and and you know it is. It's 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 not as loud as the old Metrodome, but it is still kind of a really neat atmosphere when the fans get the clap in the skull clap up right. over their head and and going crazy. Now me, I, I was there when they opened the place. I played in the very first game there as a New Orleans Saint. It was a cool, fun vibe. And I will say this. We got waxed in that game. <laughs> but we came back and we played them later in the year in the playoffs. Had them beat until um, Diggs made an unbelievable catch and run to, to win the game with zeros on the clock. Minneapolis but, miracle. But I will say, when you play in an atmosphere like that, it can get you up as an away team. It can get you motivated and fired up and get you focused. And there's a sense of that that goes, especially in the big games, to lock in when these these atmospheres get that great and you can really really focus on just the little things. There there aren't as many distractions. A marathon 11th episode of the John Kuhn Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll do it again next week.